Uh, so we're in Revelation chapter uh, 14 today. If you have your Bibles, it'll be verses 1 through 5. title of our message today is The Faithful Followers of the Lamb of God, taken right from our text today. And so if you are uh, new to Great Hills or you're uh, just joining us, uh, maybe on television or on the internet, we're thrilled to have you with us as we're doing a verse-by-verse uh, expositional study of the book of the Revelation. Uh, we're well into a, a year of studying, probably going to take us another year before we can finally uh, finish it. And I do thank you. I was sharing with a group of men this morning. I asked for your prayers a couple of weeks ago. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my ministry is preach through the apocalypse. It's just fraught with much uh, spiritual attack and spiritual warfare, and I just felt so at peace this morning. Maybe a peace that I have not felt in a long time, just a sense of God's uh, presence and His calm. And I just want to thank you, because I know many of you are, are praying for me and praying as we uh, study this amazing uh, text. Uh, his name is uh, Robert Dreyfus, and he wrote an article in the Rolling Stone magazine. Yes, you heard me correct. Rolling Stone magazine. And he did an expose on Tim LaHaye, who is the co-author of the, of the works Left Behind. And the title of his article is interesting. He called it Reverend Doomsday. I kind of relate to that. I, I resonate, resemble that a little bit. Reverend Doomsday. But in the article, I think he does a very good job, a fair job of describing Tim LaHaye. And fascinatingly enough, he talks about our text today. Uh, Mr. Dreyfus in the Rolling Stone magazine, you know why? It's because people really are interested in the book of Revelation. They want to know what we believe as followers of Christ as to eschatology or the study of the end times or the eschaton. And so he, he writes this statement, and, and I love it. He says, quote, the good guys, of course, are Christian believers and Israel and a phalanx of 144,000 Jews who accept Jesus, end of quote, Rolling Stones magazine. I like that word phalanx. It is a military term, and it's an ancient term, really, that, that the Greeks employed when they would march toward the battle line. The phalanx would consist of soldiers lined up shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield. And here's the unique thing they would do as they approached their enemy. They would take their, their spears, and they would cross them over to their brethren to the left or to the right, and they would form this mighty phalanx. It was a formidable, impregnable force that they would march forward as they do battle. And Mr. Dreyfus referred to the 144,000 Jewish evangelists as this phalanx that did great things for the Lord Jesus during the Great Tribulation. In Revelation chapter 7, we talked about these guys. No, it's not the Jehovah Witnesses, 144,000, absolutely unequivocally not. It's 12,000 times 12, which you get 144,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, 12,000 strong, 144,000 Jewish hot-hearted, flaming evangelists that are yet to come. This is really what's ironic to me about this message. I want to preach a whole sermon today on a group of people who have yet to live. I'm preaching on the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. They are yet to come. Maybe they're born. They may be born today. We may be in the last eschaton. We may be in the very final days and, and getting ready to move into a great tribulation and getting ready for that awesome 
glorious appearing of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Aren't you just glad to know today that God still wins? He, he always wins. He wins in the beginning. He wins right now. And he'll win in the future. We, we don't have to fear. We don't have to be trepid, trepidation or worry or doubt or consternation. All we have to do is trust him and believe in his word. So the 144,000, we looked at them in Revelation 7. We're going to study them in depth this morning in Revelation chapter 14. But we're not going to study them just for study's sake. I love doctrine. I love theology. But I don't think John has recorded all of these words about this unique coterie band of men just for our observation, just for our you know, our, our cognitive, you know, theological minds go, mm, just cross our hands and arms. Mm, isn't that fascinating? No, no, no. I think God has gone to great lengths to preserve these men because he wants them to serve as an example, as a motivation, as, as a people that we can emulate and imitate, people that we can say, look, if, if they can stand for Christ in the midst of the malignant trinity, if they can stand for Christ among the unholy trinity of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, if they are willing to lay down their lives and preach the Word of God in such dire, difficult circumstances, then surely can I serve Christ basically in these days of utopia, in these days of peace, where at least us in America, we, we have hardly any threat of physical and bodily harm. The worst thing we're faced against, and I believe it's coming, is people are trying to silence us. People are trying to say, no, if you believe this, then, then we cannot tolerate. We can tolerate everything, but we can't tolerate this passionate Jesus followers, and so they'll try to restrain us. But praise God, the Bible's on our side. And by the way, the Constitution of the United States is on our side because we have freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and I want to take advantage of that. Well, that's another sermon. I resist that temptation. Don't want to preach, don't want to preach that sermon. All right, so you ready to study the Word of God? All right, here we go. So I, John says, I looked, and behold, there's a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. In case I forget, let, let me tell you what that is. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Uh, what does it mean to have the Father's name emblazoned upon their foreheads? I, I don't know, but it does have to do with ownership and it has to do with protection, if that helps you. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but I just want to get that out. And John said, I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, like the voice of a loud thunder, and I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. What a conglomeration. I mean, you've got this loud, thunderous, I believe, it is just this time of great jubilance and worship in heaven, and you've got the sound of many waters, and you've got this loud thunder, and then it's juxtaposed up against this harpist. And, and I, I don't, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around that, except it's just going to be awe-inspiring. It's going to be absolutely amazing. By the way, we are just warming up for heaven. When we worship the Lord and we sing praise and we lift up our hands, we're only doing that which God is preparing us so that we can do it for all eternity. And if you don't like it here, are you even going to be there? 
If you don't enjoy worshiping God and praising His name and and being with the people of God and you're enthusiastic and excited about it, then you're just going to be incredibly bored in heaven if you're going. Okay, here we go. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except them, the 144,000 who were agarazzo, who were redeemed, purchased, bought by the blood of Jesus, okay, from the earth. Now these are the ones, now here's the sermon, the sermonette on the 144,000, and that's why we're going to take a lot of time toward the end, we're really going to try to understand what is so special about these 144,000, why are they so set apart? Well, John tells us, they are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That's my favorite sentence in the whole pericope, in the whole passage. They follow Jesus wherever they go. That's the title of our message today, Faithful Followers of the Lamb. They follow Him wherever He goes. Oh, to God, He could say that about me. I follow Him wherever He leads, I'll go. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit. For they are without fault, listen to that little preposition, without fault they stand before the throne of God. So today we're going to look at their number, 144,000. We're going to look at the song, the song of the redeemed that only they actually know the melody, only they know the lyrics, the song of the redeemed, and then finally we're going to look at what what I've called their allegiance, their undying allegiance to the Lamb. And I do pray that God uses this message, as I was praying for you this morning, as some come here today and maybe you're a little bit uh, intimidated and you're a little bit fearful about, you know, uh, just living for Christ and, and, and you're just, you're tempted to be silent, you know, not ruffle any, any feathers and just kind of get by meek and mild and lowly and don't, but no, I want to come alongside you today and say, let me encourage you, speak up. Speak loud for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has saved you. God has redeemed you. God has anointed you with His Holy Spirit. Not that you would be intimidated. Not that you would be fearsome. Not that you would be worried. Not that you would be silenced. But that you would conspicuously and proudly broadcast the name above all names and then have the commensurate lifestyle that would substantiate and back up that lofty claim. So I don't know who you are, but that's for you. For some of you that may feel intimidated and fearful today, don't be fearful. Don't be intimidated. There is a hurting, broken, dying world, and they're just waiting on us to speak it and to live it. Their number is 144,000. So verse 1 says, John saw the Lamb Clearly, we know who that is, Jesus, standing with the 144,000. As I was studying uh, this week, I kind of got chuckled because the people that I love and deeply respect, these great theologians, as I read, what I try to do is I try to read as much as I possibly can. And then I just try to say, God, what are you saying to me? And then I begin to write this message. Well, some of the people that I just have so much respect for, they see it totally different from the other. And that's okay. Because it's not really a salvation issue, it's just where is this Mount Zion and what is happening? And here's a couple of the theories. First of all, Mount Zion has to do with the Jerusalem 
and there is the Lamb of God, and, and, and there is um, the 144,000, and, and Jesus is coming. He comes back to the earth, and so it's a physical, literal Mount Zion. Another guy, John MacArthur, believes that what happens is these 144,000 have persevered through the Great Tribulation, and uh, Jesus comes, and He, and he meets them, and, and He sets up His millennial kingdom. But I, I don't—who am I to disagree with these guys? But I believe it's more metaphor. I believe he's referring to Mount Zion, heaven above, and there is the Lamb. And the reason I believe this is because in verse 5 it talks about before the throne, okay, before the throne of God. So I think you've got these 144,000, and they're with the Lord Jesus in this heavenly Mount Zion, and Christ is about to come back. Now if that's right, then that means the 144,000 may have died a martyr's death. A lot of people that, that I read say, no, they don't. they don't. They never die because God has sealed them. God has protected them. I believe God has sealed them and protected them from His wrath, but maybe not the wrath of the evil one. So maybe they, they die a martyr's death, faithful to the core, faithful to the very end, and John sees them in heaven as Christ is about to return to, uh, to planet Earth. Their lifestyle reminds me of a quality of lifestyle that Paul talks about. They lived this kind of life. They were going to be deeply loved by the people of God, preaching the Word of God, but simultaneously they're going to be deeply hated by the evil one and the demons of this world. And it reminds me of this text in Corinthians, for it says, we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to the one. We are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? I looked, I saw 144,000, the Father's name written on their foreheads, ownership and possession. I tell you guys, these people, whoever they are, and whenever they come on the scene, they are a powerful phalanx. They are a formidable foe. I, I'm convinced that they so love Christ that they preach Christ and they're willing to die for Christ. And yet Christ sees that and He, and he loves them and He's sealed them. And they have a prominent place in heaven, so prominent that they've got a song that you and I cannot sing. So I don't know if I like that or not. Well, you don't really get a vote on that. I mean, it just says... They got a song and you don't. They, they have a special song, point number two, of the, of the redeemed, and it's because I think it's a special song that God has given them to reward them for their faithful service to Christ during this time that is coming, this ominous, catastrophic, calamitous time known as the Great Tribulation. So really there are two songs here. Let, let's talk about this uh, for a minute. There's the song that, that John hears in verse 2. He says, I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of water, many waters, loud thunder, and their harpists playing their harps. And, and, and I think that's just, I think it's a song of the redeemed. It's a song maybe of the, of the angels, the heavenly host. And, and John sees this, this, I mean, this eruption of, of praise and just worship to the Lamb. And, and John, and he's doing the best he can to describe, he's got this thunderous noise, and then you've got this sound of many waters, and, and then you've got the harps playing, and, and John's just going, wow, look at this. And then he says, and I noticed another song, 
and that's in verse 3, he says, they sang it, and it was a new song before the throne, before the, the four living creatures. Remember those four ominous creatures of God that He has created for worship, He's created them for war. We talked about that. And the elders in verse 3 refers to the 24 elders, 12 Old Testament, 12 New Testament representative of all the redeemed of all time. And these guys sing a song, and it's the 144,000, nobody can sing it but them, the ones redeemed from uh, the earth. And so, what a statement. To be so honored by God, to be given a song that only you can sing in His praise for your faithful service uh, to Him. I was thinking this week, I'm, I may get a little emotional as I talk about this, but I don't know, the, the older you get, you get a little more nostalgic, and you, and you get a little more thinking about the past. And My great-grandfather, his name was Samuel Isaacs. He lived till he was 99 years of age. And I've mentioned him before, but I want to share a little bit more about him. By the way, that's old. Can, can I get a witness? 99 is old. When I was 17, I, I met him. He was 97 at the time. And he just had this aura about him, this godliness about him. He was a pastor, he was an evangelist, and he was a, he was a songwriter. All of his songs, all of his life was dedicated to the second coming of Christ. Maybe that's where I get it. Maybe that mantle has fallen toward me, and that's why I'm, part of the reason I'm so passionate about this. He's one of the first graduates of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Amen. That's where I went. That's where my son's going. I'm glad. I think he's going. I hope he goes. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, and my mom, she's already getting Alzheimer's at the time. She said, Dan, and that's what she called me. She called me Dan. She said, Dan, I want to give you this. I'd never seen it before. And I took it, and it's called The Master's Praise, and it's a compilation of songs that my great-grandfather wrote about the second coming of Christ. Do you think that meant something to me? So I got that out this week, and I was looking at one of the songs that my great-grandfather, we called him Dad, what he wrote. And he wrote it in 1951, which was three years removed from a very important date in the history of Israel when they got back into their land. So I opened this up and, and I was reading some of these songs and this is, this is what he wrote, one of the stanzas. When our life's work is done and the victory is won, glad hosannas we loudly sing with our sorrows all past we'll be gathered at last by the throne of our wonderful king. And then the fourth stanza says, I have no idea how to sing it because I can't read music, and, but it has all the dots and the notes and all. He, he wrote it. He wrote the words and he, and he wrote the, the, the music to it, the score. Oh, I like this part. When the devil is bound by the Savior's own hand. Can I just stop and get an amen at that point? Amen. Praise God. There's coming a day he will be bound. So glad I brought this little fella. I, I debated about bringing this today, but I'm really glad I did. 
When the devil is bound by the Savior's own hand, what a day of rejoicing it will bring. When we look on his face, by the light of his grace, we hail him, our wonderful king. My great-grandfather's in heaven, and he's a part of this thunderous singing and, and worshiping and praising the Lamb of God, and John hears it. He hears it as if it's a mighty, rushing sound of water and a thunderous, I mean, reverberating through the heavens, this breaking forth of, of thunder, and then somehow, mysterious way, it's all tied into the harpist, and, and there it is. And, and it made me think about those that have gone before me, and it makes me think about these 144,000, how God is given them a song before the throne, and it all amalgamates and it all combines in a powerful witness to those of, of us who are here today. You see, God has gone to great lengths to reserve this Word, to record this Word, not for our mere intellectual admiration, but for our powerful emulation and imitation. And let me say it again. Guys, Praising God and worshiping Jesus here on this earth, what a great honor and, and privilege it is. Every time we get an opportunity to get into the presence of in the presence of God with the people of God singing praise to God, we ought to, we ought to run, we ought to get to it, we ought to say, oh God, I'm just warming up my voice because there's coming a day, woo, I get to see you face to face and I get to praise the Lamb of God for ever, and it's a, this is a rehearsal time, this is a, this is a warm-up time, that's why I just cannot understand for the life of me, at 11 o'clock, 11.05, people are coming in going, oh, yeah, it's that time, yeah, yeah, let's get going, you know, Brother Terry, strike up the band, hey, man, I, hey, honey, you give me another cup of coffee, oh, don't worry about no coffee, honey, let's get in the house of God, I mean, let's get in here early, and let's get praying, let's get thinking, and let's get warmed up to praise the Lamb, so, these guys are the ones that are motivating me, by the way. These 144,000, they are faithful followers of the Lamb. We got their number. We got the song as best, as best we can. It's a song of the redeemed that only, only they know. But finally, I want to look at their allegiance. And this is really the heart of the message today, their allegiance. I know what time it is. It's 5 till 12. The sister said so, okay. And we're going to go quick as we can. What am I going to do with this? I'll just put it in my pocket. Okay. So their allegiance. There, there are five ways that they are defined in our text. And, and I want to look at these with you quickly. Verse 4 says, number one, they are sexually pure. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now what does that mean? You say, well, I know what virgins are, Brother Danny, and I do too. And and it could mean that they are, they are strict, literal virgins, never had sexual relations with, with anyone. And yet I read this week where one writer says, well, it could mean that, or it could mean they had abstained from the pollutions of earth, and not necessarily that they had never been married. And I'm good with either, either one. But the thing that John is pointing out about these guys is they have this this degree of righteousness and holiness about them. They have not been defiled. And I'm about to say something that's going to, it's, 
It's not very popular what I'm about to say, and it's not going to be popular for some of you that are sitting here today, but I believe it with all my heart. Your effectiveness for Christ is linked to your sexual purity. These 144,000 who are honored by Jesus, it says they, they're, they're virgins, either literal virgins, or they are not defiled or polluted with the things of this world. The Apostle Paul goes to great length in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, I wish that many of you were like me, or single and never married, so that you just give your whole total life to the gospel. But then he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, he goes, flee sexual immorality. Be pure. Every sin that a man does is outside his body, but he who commits sexual sin, he sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought. Come on now. Just like these 144, it says, they were bought. They were purchased from the slave market of sin by the precious, redeeming, flowing blood of Calvary. You've been bought at a price. Now glorify God, watch this, in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Can I just ask you, go on record and ask you a question today. Can you glorify God today in your body? Are you sexually pure? Are you walking with the Lord? I believe to the degree of your sexual purity is going to be to the degree of your faithfulness and your effectiveness for the Lamb. Number two is their surrendered will. This is my favorite part of the whole text. It says, they followed Jesus wherever He went. Do you see that in verse 4? They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Listen to this commentary I came across this week. Man, this is good. John Phillips writes these words. These 144,000 have no rivals. They have no refusals and no restraint to mar their dedication to Christ. Does Jesus need somebody to stand up on the steps of the Vatican and cry out against the marriage of Christendom to the beast? There they are, 144,000 ready to go. Does the Lord need somebody to beard the beast at some high function of the state and roundly denounce him, his policy, his statecraft, his religion, his economic boycott, his mark, his ministers, his alliance with Satan? There they are. 144,000 ready to go. Does the Lamb need evangelists to proclaim to the untold millions the gospel of the coming kingdom of God? Woohoo, listen to this. I wish I could write like this. Listen to this. To climb the highest Himalayas, to cross the desert sands, to blaze an evangelistic trail through the steaming jungles, or to hush huskies, mush huskies across the Arctic waste. Well, there they are, 144,000 ready to go. And though the beast Gestapo, he may dog their footsteps and wreak havoc upon their converts and his direst vengeance, yet on they go undaunted and undeterred. That was the very spirit of their consecration as they followed the Lamb whithersoever the Lamb led them on earth, and their reward is in kind. Oh, wish they could say that about us. God says, I have a prodigious assignment. I have something. But only a person with a commensurate character that can match the largeness of the assignment. And I would love to say, God, here I am. Lord, find me worthy. May I, may I even volunteer. Lord, here I am, send me. And I would be so walking with Jesus, so sexually pure, so set apart, so consecrated to Him, that the Lord will say, go, I give you this assignment, go and bear witness 
to my name. All of this reminds me of a song. Y'all know this song I'm about to, to give you? Whether soever he goeth. Footsteps of Jesus. Let me give this to you right quick. Sweetly, Lord, have we heard thee calling. Come, follow me, and see where your footprints are falling. Lead us to thee. Though they lead o'er cold, dark mountains, seeking his sheep, or along Salome's fountains, helping the weak. And then the last part. Then at last, when on high he sees us, our journey done. We will rest where the steps of Jesus end at his throne. Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow. We will follow, we will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go. Really? Will you? Will I? They did. Whithersoever he went, they followed. Okay, let me, let me move quickly now. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Next, they were redeemed, set apart from among men, being the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. What does that mean? Well, the, the key here is they have been redeemed, agarazzo. They have been purchased off the slave market of sin. And the purchase price used to redeem their souls is the same price paid for us to redeem our souls. And that was none other than the blood of Christ. Knowing, Peter says, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Watch this. Woo, glory. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, the precious blood of Jesus has it courses through my spiritual veins. He has cleansed me. He has washed me. He's taken all my dastardly, nasty deeds, and He washed them away. Now I stand pure as the driven snow because the Son of God has rescued me. He has redeemed me. He did it for these 144,000, and mm, He's doing it daily all over this world for anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord, be saved, and they would be set apart. Now, they are first fruits. What does that mean? First fruits means it's the first fruit. They are some of the first saved out of this great tribulation, and they have that honorable title of these 144,000 flaming Jewish evangelists. I hope you're not here during the Great Tribulation, but if you are, you will recognize them. They're going to be hot-hearted for God. They're not going to be worried about the intimidation of the state. They're not going to be intimidated when the, the great harlot of Revelation 17 is wedded to this religiosity, this tolerant religion that we are so getting ready for. We are so primed for a religion of no passion. People of passion, let's, let's kill them. And then you, you will recognize these guys. They will stand up like bright, shining lights for the gospel. Oh, to God that I could be a precursor to them. Next is they are silent. And their, in their mouth was found no deceit. This is very fascinating to me. They are known for what they do, and now they are known for what they do not say. There's no duplicitous falsehood, lying, or gossip in their mouths. They were so busy following Jesus, they didn't have time to be deceitful and gossips. Proverbs 17, 28, guys, I think we have this. Here it is. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. 
And so they are silent when they need to be silent. And then they are vocal when they need to be vocal. Sometimes we truncate that, we twist that, we reverse that. We gossip when we shouldn't, and when it comes to bearing witness for Christ, we get lockjaw, we get silent lips. Oh, that we would reverse that and be, be like these guys and be, be counted and, and not be gossiping about one another, not be tearing down somebody in the church or worried or fussing about that. Woo, be so excited for Christ. Man, I'm so busy sharing Jesus. I don't have time to argue and, and disagree. I don't have time to fuss about you and your, and your character or lack thereof. God bless you. I'll pray for you. Let me just go tell somebody else about Christ. How much better would our churches be if we had that kind of mentality? Not the gossip. <laughs> Don't have many original thoughts, but here comes one. Not the gossip, but the gospel on our, on our lips. And the last thing I want to share with you is a stellar testimony. It says that in verse 5, they are without fault. Man. What does that mean? Spotless, without fault, before the throne of God. Many a good Christian's testimony and influence are shipwrecked on the jagged rocks of deceit and idle words. James says, if anyone among you thinks he's religious, but does not close his mouth, but deceives, he deceives his own heart, and this one's religion is useless. Isn't it ironic? We're preaching about a group of people who have yet to live, and yet they've given us this amazing stellar testimony that we can emulate and we can follow in our day and age in preparation for the time when the Lamb comes. Um, the Sneeds, where are y'all? Kevin and um, Jenny, Sarah and Will, they're leaving us today, and I'm not happy about it. Uh, you know, as a pastor, sometimes you just don't get a vote. People leave, and they, they just leave. But they're moving to Richmond, and God is leading them to, to Richmond. And I'm excited for them, and yet I'm very sad. I mean, it's just you don't, you don't find people like this every day, and they're hard, hard to replace. But I was talking to Jenny, and we were talking to a lady just a moment ago. And I said these words, and I hope she took them the way I meant them as a blessing We'll miss them so much because they live to be missed. Live to be missed. I'll close with this and we'll have our invitation. My grandmother, kind of the matriarch of our family. I tell you, I got some, I got some interesting family. I think we all do. And uh, they probably say that about me. Oh, we've got a weird preacher in our family. And I, that would be me. But our grandmother, my grandmother, Granny, she was the glue, the Elmer's glue that really held our family together. Some of y'all think, have you been to Ancestry.com, Genealogy.com? No, I just, it's just coming to me. Because I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with examples of stellar testimony that I pray that would motivate you and motivate me to do this. Granny had um, five siblings. And before she died, she died when she was 83. I did not know this. She told me about some of her siblings. She had a sister named Betty. She was 21 years of age, and she and her two precious children were killed in a tornado in Oklahoma. And Granny also had a brother named Sam, Sammy, 
And Sam had a, his brother-in-law, they were swimming, and the brother-in-law was having a hard time getting out of the water, and Sam jumped in to rescue him, and they both died. They drowned. And my grandmother had a brother named Henry, who's 36 years of age. He worked at the U.S. steel plant where my dad worked for 31 years. And 36 years of age, just to show you the kind of guy he was, there was a furnace that had gotten out of control, and he, he wanted to go and see if he could help and put out the fire. And in the process, he was so badly burned, top of his head, the soles of his feet. 36 years of age, they took him to the hospital. And he said, I want to see my pastor. That's a blessed thing, preacher. People say, I want to see my pastor. And the pastor came to his bed, and he said, Pastor, please don't let my, my wife come see me. I don't want her to see me like this. And there was a nurse standing there, and Henry turned to her and said, Ma'am, I'm not long on this earth. Do you know Christ? Do you have a personal relationship with the Son of God? I am burned from head to toe, but praise God, in the afterlife there will be no scorching on my body. Do you know Christ? And right there in the hospital room, my, whatever he is to me, my grandmother's brother, leads this lady to Christ. My grandmother's first husband died when he was 55 years of age of cancer. And I, and I go through all of these. He said, well, what kind of person did all that sorrow produce? And Ashley, you know, she's one of the most godly women I have ever met. She has a legacy. She's lived to be missed. She has a testimony. Listen, guys, all of us are in the process of making a story, making a testimony. The Word of God has reserved these 144,000, I really believe, for our examination and for our imitation. But is there anybody else here today that, man, do you just, do you read this and you just get to the point going, God, I am motivated. I am motivated by the example of these, and I want to live a kind of life that people will talk about me in generations to come to say he was not a compromising, he was not he was not wicked and evil, but he best he could. He walked with God. He served the Lord, and I am the better for it. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, that it is powerful, and that it, it cuts us, Lord, and yet it heals us. Lord, I'm praying this morning for some of my brothers and sisters that are in this room today, or maybe they're listening to us on on the internet or television, and they just need some encouragement. God, they need to know they're on the winning team, and I'm praying, Holy Spirit of God, you would remind them of that and remind me of that. I also pray, Lord, for those that don't know you today, those that don't have a personal relationship with you. And God, they live a life of, of idle gossip and a life of sensuality and promiscuity. And I'm, I pray, God, that you would show them there's a better way. And that, Jesus, you will clean them. You will save them. You don't, you don't cast them aside, but you reach out to them and lovingly embrace them when they come in repentance and faith. So I pray they would do that today. Lord, I'm also praying in this prayer as we move into a time of invitation, I, I pray, God, for uh, Lord, I know this is a tall order, but would you send us some sneeds? God, would you send us some people like Kevin and like Jenny? 
Lord, that are sold out, committed. Lord, we need people like that. We just ask you to replace them. I know we really can replace them, but would you, would you just help us with people like that? And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, listen, friend, that, that may be you today. God may be calling you to a point of commitment, to a point of decision. I know Great Hills Baptist Church, we have this nomenclature of a radiant church. We want to be a radiant light shining brightly in the heart of the city of Austin for the gospel. And man, we need you. We need you to come and link your life. Be a phalanx with us. Cross your spears with us. Put your shield next to mine. And may we be a mighty fortress for the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would do these things. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you. Josh is going to lead us in a, in a song, and our pastors and deacons and support staff will be here. I want you all to come, man. Just come pray and do business with the Lord today. God bless you as you come.